Today is Friday, February the 8th. This is Kurt Kovac from Politics NC. This is Perspective in Raleigh. I'm here with Thomas Mills. Thomas, how are you? I'm all right. How you doing, Kurt? I am well, but the Commonwealth of Virginia is not. I wanted to first talk about what's been in the news a lot since last time we talked, and, and that is uh, all these revelations about some um, prior misdeeds from the top of the ticket in Virginia. Um, could you walk through what's going on up there? Yeah, I think Virginia's a bit of a mess for Democrats right now, um, and but Republicans gloating should be where. Um, you know, Ralph Northam apparently showed up or, or on, on a page in his uh, medical school yearbook. There's a photo of a uh, somebody in blackface and a Ku Klux Klan, another person in a Ku Klux Klan outfit, clearly thought it was funny. Um, it was taken in 1984. Clearly it was not funny. It was, it, it's offensive. And um, Northern, Northern's been met with calls to resign from just about all quarters, including our own governor here in North Carolina. Uh, but before he could make any much decision one way or the other, the lieutenant governor there gets in trouble, Justin Fairfax, over an alleged uh, uh, sexual assault um, back in 2004. At the DNC. And then um, at the DNC, that's right. And uh, before that cooled down, the AG admitted that in 1980, he dressed in blackface for some sort of event. So those are the top three members of, of the govern, government and the three that uh, are in secession. So right. if if all three of them end up having to resign, and uh, I, I doubt that'll happen, but then it would go to, to a Republican House Speaker. House Speaker. Yeah. And that's, I just don't see Democrats giving up control of the state for that. I think what this exposes is, is a whole bunch of things. One is racism is long from dead. We are not a race-neutral society, no matter how much uh, uh, Judge uh, Roberts would like us to believe. Um, we're still, it's still, race plays a big role in how we make decisions, and they make, uh, they play a role in our, our, our politics and our policy, and um, we're a long way from having to get away from that. You know, the, the, the other thing, um, I think we need to be looking at is do we hold people accountable for things that they did 35 years ago, 40 years ago? Uh, and you know, my, my take on that is that that's bad and we need to learn a lot more from it, about it. But you, you've got to judge people based on their records and their livelihoods and the things they've done in the last 35 years, that matters. Now, Ralph Northam botched the political response to that thing terribly. And so maybe he ends up having to pay a price. On the flip side, uh, he can't run for re-election because Virginia only has one-term gubernatorial seats. I got a feeling he's just going to try to weather it. You know, Donald Trump did the same thing throughout his campaign. Every time a scandal would come up, he'd just ignore it and keep plowing ahead, and he survived it. Northern may do the same with this one. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Justin Fairfax. He's an African-American uh, uh, lieutenant governor, and, and, you know, he looked pretty well poised to, to 
be the front runner to secede um, Northam and and uh, to, I think it's twenty twenty one would be the election, um, and he would be only the second. He would be the second black governor in the state of Virginia. That's a big deal. Um, but Democrats, in in the wake of Al Franken, have said, you know, we got to throw due process to the wind. Believe the women. We, we, that's what we've been hearing. Believe the women. Believe the women. Well, all of a sudden, if we believe this woman, this guy's got to go. And uh, it, it puts Democrats in a sticky situation. I think we need to be looking more at due process again. Maybe he's guilty, and if he is, he does need to go. But, you know, I, I think Democrats need to reassess where they've been with allowing accusations without any sort of due process to ruin people's political careers. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the AG thing. We hadn't even gotten that far down, really, to, to explore it too much. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot going on in Virginia, and there's a lot for people to learn um, about making accusations, about ruining political careers, um, a, a, about owning up to your mistakes as somebody younger. You know, I mean, that that's what the first thing Northam should have done is said, that's awful, I apologize, I was wrong to have been involved with that in any way, and since then I've changed, I've become a different person than I was back then. But we never quite heard that. We heard some of that, but then we heard, well, I shouldn't have done that then, that wasn't me. It was just, you know, too many stories. And uh, I think, you know, he's going to pay some sort of political price whether he ends up resigning or not. And, that, and that's been a real difference in response because Northam, I think, initially copped to it. And then he said, well, that actually wasn't me. And he had a bizarre press conference. Uh, and he admitted to wearing blackface in a different instance. So he said he dressed up as Michael Jackson at a party once. So, um there, there was definitely a difference of approach with the attorney general who issued a, a long statement basically doing what you said and taking responsibility for it. So I think it raises a question for the Democratic Party. Is there room for rehabilitation if somebody has erred in the past? Can they come back from that or is it just uh, a game ender? And I know for the lieutenant governor, he has retained lawyers that Kavanaugh hired and the woman who has accused him retained the lawyers that um, Christine Blasey Ford re- retained. So it's it's like the flip side of the Kavanaugh stuff. We've got right. Democrats and the same lawyers on both sides. So it'll be interesting to see how that um, pans out. But I do think there is a question, like you raised, when there was nothing to lose for Democrats. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand said that Al Franken should resign, but they knew that he would be replaced by a Democrat. Now it'll be a real test of this, um, whether or not you can maintain those same standards when you have something to lose, because if all three of them resign, you have a Republican governor and a Republican-led legislature on both sides. And, and it's one thing to, to call for that when there are no repercussions for your party, but now it's a really big deal in Virginia. And I, I think that um, segues into what's happened recently in North Carolina, where um, some reporters have dug up yearbooks from Chapel Hill. And specifically in 79, Colin Campbell has posted a picture on Twitter of um, a yearbook that shows very similar things as, as what was happening in the Virginia yearbook. I would think worse, actually, it's got a picture of a mock lynching, I think, um, from this fraternity. But 
it was clearly looking for a history of similar pictures from some of our leaders because I saw a Daily Mail article talking about this was the year that Roy Cooper was there and he's in the yearbook with a different fraternity. But what does that make you consider with how, how race is viewed in the South and, and further just with this idea that we're looking for these old pictures now that people wouldn't have considered looking for before? Well, I, you know, I find, I find it a little bit interesting that it, it seems that maybe uh, yearbooks were not part of an opposition research researcher's toolbox. I, I, it's, it's hard to believe that, but uh, maybe they just felt like until now, you know, well, what you were doing in high school or, or college isn't that big a deal. Um, but we're starting to see them come across, come out all over the place. And, and the ones, ones at UNC in 79 were pretty horrific. And, yeah. uh, there, there was one set from a, a fraternity that I think is now defunct actually it was kicked off a of campus because of a alcohol poisoning death a few years ago. But, um, this, there was a second one that showed a, a fraternity, the KAs dressed in, dressed as, uh, Confederate soldiers standing in front of silent sam and that's a fraternity that's long prided itself on its its allegiance to the old confederacy and uh and they trace it back to robert e lee they, they trace it back to robert e lee that's right and um so you know i i think the yearbook all of a sudden there, there's a certain guilt by association uh i gotta think that if you were a member if you're in public office and you were part of that fraternity. They were the Chi Phi's. Um, if you were a member of the Chi Phi's in that period of the 1970s, you got tough questions to answer politically. Um, you know, the thing about the the relationship to Roy Cooper should really not even factor into it. He happened to be in a university that had 20,000 students, um, where where one group of them did this. Roy, Roy Cooper's fraternity was Chi Psi, um, and it was the first fraternity that was integrated on campus. They had uh, at least one African-American student body president came out of that fraternity during that era. Uh, Jesse Helms' uh, press secretary, a guy named Claude Allen, who was an African-American man, was also a member of that fraternity. So the idea that Roy Cooper somehow associated with this, this fraternity that was involved in racism is just absurd. I mean, you know, that, that just, it, it doesn't hold much water. And it's, it's a huge leap to say that he was somehow connected to it. But, um, and it also says a lot about conservatives who would try to link somebody who was at a school of 20,000 to that because all of a sudden they're going to have to start owning up to Bob Jones and Jerry Falwell's uh, mess if that's the route we're going to go. But, um, Anyhow, you know, I, I, I think that, that uh, it has nothing to do with Cooper, but it, do, it says a lot more about what we're about to go through with yearbooks. I saw this morning that, um, I think it was Mississippi Lieutenant Governor uh, was in a yearbook dressed in blackface. The Virginia, head of the Virginia Senate, who's also a Republican, was the publisher of a yearbook that had numerous photos of people in blackface posted. So, 
you know, again, we're, we're back to this thing of, of we're, we're going to go back and we're going to see what people were doing when they were in their, their late teens and early 20s. How accountable do we hold people for their actions back then? Um, and, and the bigger question is, is how much have people's attitudes changed since then? You know, we're, we're 40 years basically from the 1979 yearbook, which was uh, just 15 years from the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So, you know, you can see that those attitudes post the, that civil rights movement had not changed that dramatically. Have they changed that much more in 40 years? That's, that's a tough question. Well, yes, I, I think it is. And, and there is a, a truth to the idea that you can't divorce race from politics in the South, certainly not in the 70s and, and still not today. Speaking of um, the, the issue of race in the South, though, I, I, did, I was reminded of we had the State of the Union address and Stacey Abrams gave the response to that. And then just yesterday, uh, and I can't remember his name, but an African-American leader in the Democratic Party announced he's exploring uh, a race against Lindsey Graham. Do you think for the South, African-Americans stepping up and running in these statewide races is is a, a good path forward for Democrats to sort of solidify support in the South and start winning back these races that they've typically not done well in? Um, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think having strong African-American candidates helps, helps Democrats uh, on the ticket usually. Um, and and uh, that, that said, though, I think Democrats need good candidates, period. And, uh, but I think Stacey Abrams came close to winning that governor's election she clearly hit a home run with her response to Trump. And I, I imagine we'll see her running for U.S. Senate in, in, um, in Georgia in 2020. You know, one thing that happens is it, 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 it engages the African-American electorate who were, the, who were the, prime, the key to the Democratic base in the South. And we see when we have strong African-American uh, candidates on the ticket, we tend to see a better turnout, which helps everybody up and down the ballot. So in that sense, yes. Now, I, I don't believe any candidate, just because of their race or gender, is a good candidate. You need to, you need to have something to back it up. I don't care whether you're black, white, women, men. You know, the identity only goes so far. You need to be able to show a record. You need to be able to show uh, in the South. You need to show some so, some level, I think, of moderation and and and, and temperament uh, to be a strong candidate. And I, I uh, so I mean, I think yes. On the one hand, it's good to have good strong African American candidates. On the other hand, it's good to have strong candidates. Period. And and. Uh, that's what Democrats need to be looking for. Well, moving toward a more national lens, there have been a few more announcements or um, announcements about announcements. So Amy Klobuchar, who's someone you've written about before as possibly being a good presidential candidate, she is, um, from all uh, points, it looks like she's going to announce she's running on Sunday or uh, an exploratory committee. 
But there was a story in the Huffington Post which described her as not the best boss in the Senate. I think she has one of the highest turnovers of staff. It just seems like people don't like working for her. So do you think something like that plays at all into her candidacy, or is that just uh, noise? I think it, it does play into her candidacy. And, and uh, I mean, it, it, they're disturbing reports. There have been two back-to-back out of the Huffington Post. The first, um, I think it was Huffington Post, uh, published a, a list of senators with the highest turnover, and she topped the list. And then yesterday or the day before, an article came out saying that three people had uh, withdrawn their names as for consideration as campaign managers because of the way she's reputedly treated her staff. Or and and you can't run a presidential camp a successful presidential campaign if you treat everybody poorly. It just doesn't work out. And and I've. I've watched political campaigns that would seem to have very strong candidates, and yet the campaigns never quite get off the ground. They never quite click like they should, and a lot of it becomes because you've got a, a boss who's treating them bad. The morale you you need people running for you who will go to the, the, the that will that will fall on their sword for you. If you treat people poorly, they're not going to do that. And uh, so if she's really that tough a boss, it's going to make it very hard for people to, to for her to run the type of campaigns you'll need to win. There has been, I think, also Cory Booker announced. Yep. Do you – I know this is a weekly thing, so not much changes, but um, do you think he plays well? Do you think he would be a good candidate? I think people – have put him as a top-tier candidate, uh, waiting to see if he would announce. Um, but do you see him having a good chance? You know, um, I, I think Cory Booker's got some some problems. Um, my Personally, Cory Booker's a, a vegan. Nothing against vegans, but I don't see a vegan in the White House. Um, <laughs> may, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but... Uh, not yet, I guess. Not, nope. And uh, so, anyhow, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Cory Booker, really. I, I think he he's got the makings of a president. I, he's very poetic. Yeah, and and I've I mean I've heard him talk, and I like a lot of what the things he says. Um, you know, I I just I don't know enough about him, and there's something about him that just doesn't ring exactly true. He, my my perspective on him, he seems very much a thespian like i think he likes giving speeches but even if they are sincere which i've heard they are different you know interviews and things about him that it comes across very manufactured as opposed to like uh, an obama which seemed at least to me very sincere and considerate in his speeches it feels like he's reading a speech just to give a speech um but he, he does have a lot of support, it seems like. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this field develops now. I, I don't even know how many there are running, but it, it grows every single day. Uh, the last thing I would ask you is about another potential candidate who's announced their exploratory committee. But this issue of the Native American heritage has stuck around with Elizabeth Warren. There was another um, 
story the other day which showed her applying, I think, to practice law in Texas, and she had put on her handwriting Native American as her race. Do you think the response to this has been botched the whole way through and, and that it's going to plague her continuously? You know, I don't, yeah, I think it is going to plague her continuously. And, and I, don't, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think she can get away from it. I mean, I think other than that, she's, she's a good candidate. The problem is, is that she went for a lot of years saying she was Native American when she has very little Native American. Probably no more blood. than anybody else. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, it, 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 it kind of bo- it bothers me, and I like her, you know. Um, well, it seems like the criticism I saw is, is, is like she's used affirmative action and sort of gamed it in a way that wasn't intended to be used. Right, exactly. Yeah. So... Okay, well, we'll see. Maybe something else will come out on her in the future. But I I think we've hit our time quota for today. Um, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kirk. See you then.